Hello and welcome to this week's Scottish Independence Podcast. This week we're going to be dropping in on a real-world event which was held by Falkirk Friends for Yes. It was a panel discussion in front of a pretty decent-sized crowd. Topic of discussion was campaigning ideas, touched on the court case expected on the 11th and 12th of October. So we thought this was good timing to bring this podcast. They did have a little bit of trouble with their sound recording at the beginning, so we've unfortunately just missed the intro and the first half of the first week. But um, hopefully that won't spoil your enjoyment. The panel members were Leslie Ridder, who's obviously well-known independence broadcaster, Grant Toms, who's a lobbyist and academic, Neil McLeod for Christians for Independence, and Gillian Mackay, who is Scottish Greens MSP. Hope you enjoy it and find it useful. In recent months, CFI has been uh, working and campaigning with other pro-Indy groups and organisations. And one of those has been to work with Mike Russell, the SNP president, who is working on a transitional constitution for Scotland, which will appear for discussion and debate in due course. One area in particular that CFI has advocated upon is that of the role of the European Convention on Human Rights, that that ought to be embedded within the transitional constitution so that religious freedom for all, not just Christians, but for all religious groups, is protected. You may have seen the CFI banner at various events and marches, most recently in Inverness. And if you see us, do come over, say hi. We'd love to get to know you, to meet you. Let me close by saying just one or two short things about independence. Independence is not an end in itself. In the Gospel of Matthew, we read these words. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I need clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. We believe that everybody is made in the image of God. And what I mean by that is that we have value and dignity and worth. We seek community, we seek belonging. And for very many, that is articulated through social justice as well. That's a critical part, because in our country and around the world, we see poverty robs people of their self-worth. We see that particularly in the light of the pandemic and most recently with his energy crisis as well. For a nation as rich as ours, with energy and resources in abundance, bursting with talent, we urgently need independence. And in the meantime, churches and Christian groups all across the country working with others to continue to supply food and uh, warmth banks. I hate that term. I hate the term warmth bank or food bank. They should not exist in our nation, but they do. And we will continue to support that. Christians are involved in debt counselling. They are involved in working in prisons with the homeless, all seeking to build a better nation and a better Scotland now. Scottish independence movement was built by reaching out, by pulling together, and by working hard. Back in Banner in 2014, we did that. You did that all across the country in 2014. We need to recapture that vision, recapture that uh, purpose. And we see that even with this event happening today, of that happening together, even discussing earlier today, the positivity that was in this room was just so encouraging. 
Within the booklet, I have a short little introductory piece. And let me conclude with these following words with where I conclude my own piece. My desire is for my country that it may reflect the character of God. Compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. A country whose characteristics has those at its heart is a country I want to belong to. I hope you do too. So thank you for your invitation today, for your friendship, for your encouragement, and for your partnership in this worthy task. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. I'm Gillian Mackay. I'm the Scottish Greens Central Scotland MSP in our health, social care and sports spokesperson. I think this campaign needs to be fought on the values that we hold dear as a country now and as a country that we hope to be in the future. We know the value that Scotland places on its people. We see that through how we mitigate the benefits cap, we brought in the child payment and all the other things that we do to value the people within the country. And as we've seen over the past couple of days, we're seeing how much that is diverting from the way the UK government are dealing with people. The recent budget itself is an opportunity to capture people's attention with a better alternative, show what we're already doing with the powers that we have and articulate what else we would do with other powers. I think all the new nation building chat that we do as a movement in rooms like this doesn't always get down to the people that are outside these walls. They're not necessarily the things that people immediately identify when they talk about the issues they deal with every day. And outside the political bubble, we need to engage with those views. I think there's practical examples of things that we're trying to do at Hollywood level and at other levels now that we can be talking about and how we would do differently with more, with more powers. For example, as our health and social care spokesperson, something we deal with regularly and that gets a lot of pickup outside the building are things around um, drugs deaths. Drug deaths are an issue that impacts a lot of families and there's a lot more work to be done for sure. But the compassion and pe person-centred work and measures we want to take we can't take or is taking much more time and much more legal wrangling because we do not have the powers to take those steps. I don't think as a movement we need to have all the answers right now. There are a variety of parties represented or people of no political affiliation within the Yes movement. And often we're in a room debating what currency we're going to use, what's going to happen with this, that and the next thing. We don't have to have the answers now. The whole point of building a new nation is to have those conversations ongoing, involve people of this nation in those answers. That's partly to do with the way the mainstream media is set up and the thing that the yes movement have no coherent view. We don't have to have one. This is about involving people and moving forward and driving that evolution. The union is a fixed entity with no weight involved and no desire to involve Scotland in any of the evolution that it's going to do anyway. I think we need to involve young people as well going forward. As a young-ish politician, now that I've officially been kicked out of the Young Greens, which pains me dearly, um, we need to involve young people. I wasn't involved in politics in 2014. I'm 31. There are many young people who have never been involved in politics either, and this will be their first go-round at even voting in an independent referendum. We need to involve them and appeal to the issues that they are dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. And they are the people that we really need to get involved, as well as all those who maybe 
soft, soft yes or soft no or undecided? Because I think there are more undecided people than we maybe think out there. So I really look forward to all of your questions and hearing from everybody else in the panel. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. And thank you very much for the invite uh, to be here today. Um, the last time I was in this hotel was 22 years ago. I think it was telling John McNally this when I first arrived. And it was a National Council meeting, first Saturday in December in 2000. Um, I had just come out of the Anderson by-election as one of the two candidates. And I was to introduce David Kerr as your selected candidate for the Falkirk West by-election that went ahead at Christmas time at that time, and uh, and a good campaign it was, much better campaign than I had in an answer bus of it. Um, and uh, that might say something about me as a candidate, it must have been. Um, and my dear late friend Tom Chalmers, who was the other candidate in Iceland, miss him very much. We'd made a fine MSP um, by now if he'd uh, lived long enough, sadly. And um, today, you know, our focus is about campaigning. Um, and I think things have changed a lot since uh, I was a, a candidate in that type of uh, by-election. Um, during that, since then, in fact, um, I've moved into headquarters and did a change programme within the campaigning, introduced the independence question to our canvassing for the first time in 2002, set up a telephone call centre um, and started canvassing our existing seats in 2002 and the two or three that he wanted to take, um, Dundee East, Aberdeen North, Ogles, kind of seats that we now see as um, safe lesson we learned from the telephone canvassing was that Perth, Rosanna Cunningham's seat, which had won in a Westminster Parliament by-election, held in a Scottish Parliament, in the first Scottish Parliament elections, but with a small majority, we identified that only 57% of SNP voters in Perth supported independence. Nobody believed us when we put the data back to them. Uh, and they were like, that can't be true. They said, no, people are voting for SNP for different reasons. They always have done. But more interestingly now, the British Social Studies, uh, British Social Attitude Survey has just come out. And what it's really showing is the shift from 20 years ago, whereby people voted for political parties for different reasons, sometimes for ideology, sometimes to oppose another party. That has very much changed from roughly about 50% of people voting SNP for independence, that's now gone up to about 85, 90%. And the same has happened within the unions parties as well. So we're fossilizing those that vote and identify with parties on a regular basis. They're being fossilized already into hard yes, no approaches. The ones that are in the middle that don't really fit into that are now being extremely um, being looked at in terms of how they voted in the European referendum. Uh, and, you know, we kind of think Brexit is here. It's awful. You don't like it. Um, we didn't ask for it, uh, and it's something that, as a movement, we need to tap back into. Now, it has its own issues in terms of whether um, you're fully signed up and you're being back in the EU, or if you'd like something else that's a happy house. These are kind of these issues that we're not really going to be able to resolve, and as Gillian was um, suggesting, we probably will never have uh, a united front on every single policy in the next independence referendum, and we shouldn't try we're going to waste our time fighting amongst ourselves over things like that instead of actually just talking to people and giving a broad view of you can decide that once we're independent. Whether you want to have another referendum on Europe or you just want the first independence government to take us back into Europe, that is something that will determine once we get to those type of elections. In the meantime, 
we need to be talking to the people who are going to matter the most. And I hate to say it, it's, you know, Mesa said, like, nobody, you know, we're not all important. We are all important. But the people in that middle age, middle space, who particularly voted no and now have buyer remorse, they hate the idea that they voted no because the promises they were given over Europe and a number of other issues have gone. And it's really this election is going to be for unionists to give the case for why we should stay in this time. And 2014 was all about our case for why we should be independent. I think the next independence referendum is going to be more about what's the case for staying in this union. We are just about to hit, uh, I think, an economic cyclone based on that budget yesterday. Uh, the pound's already crashing. Now, I'm not an economist. There may be others who think, actually, you know, Quasi might have an idea about where things are going to go, but I've not seen anything about it. Not even Tory commentators are saying this is going to work. So we're in new territory. There's going to be new fights, new battles. I think it's going to be a very brave person that can dictate today, this is how we should campaign all the way through. There'll be general principles that we can agree on today. And I'd love to hear some of your ideas about what you want to, or um, things you'd like to clarify from the panel, because it's going to be how we talk and find out what's going forward. One thing that I am clear about, and can I pose this to you, how many people have been out and knocked a door in the last three months? Raise your hands now if you have a bit more than I was expecting, but it's, <laughs> but it's not a lot. But one of the things that I found knocking doors over the summer is that people are straight away when they see the SMP badge was, I don't want to talk about independence, I'm not ready for it now, even if I support it. You need to sort out cost of living, and you need to sort out the economic message now. That's going to be a tall order, to say the least, for um, the SNP when you don't control all the powers involved in it. But what it does mean is we have to win some of the arguments. All parties, not just SNP, need to some of the arguments about why independence is going to be the solution to the absolute mess that we're going to be in now and in the future, so long as we remain within the United Kingdom. I was going to kind of try and focus specifically on campaigning issues. But I think I should deal with that more through the debate going forward. So thank you very much for inviting me, especially when I see so many elected SNP colleagues on the NEC and in the Westminster and Scotland Parliament. Um, I kind of feel a bit of a fraud standing up here representing the party, and there's far more eloquent people here that could do that for me. But uh, thank you for the invite, and I look forward to the debate. Grant feels like a, a fraud. I feel like a rebel, right? Um, I'm not a member of the SNP, and I'm just here to say the Yes movement is not visible. That's the bad news. It's active, although it may not be doing door knocking, but, you know, I've been in four meetings the last four days, and they've all been good, good-sized meetings. Uh, but what's happening, as far as I can see, is that um, we're, we're basically marking the movement is marking the Scottish government, as in shadowing, as in copying, as in slavish, as in stop. The movement is a different thing from a government. That's not to slag off the Scottish government at all. It's got a day job. It's got formal requirements. It's got things to do that make it a government. The movement does not. And yet we're acting, we're waiting to hear when we should be out protesting, when we should be out acting. And I have a feeling that from further away, and that could just be the general public, or it could be the wider European community who we also need to influence, we don't look like we give a toss. Now, this came home to me really strongly in an event I was chairing uh, run by Europe for Scotland. Have, have any of you heard of that group? 
Just can I just see how many just to view of Scotland? Yeah. Well, this is a group set up by two Oxford academics. Uh, one's German, one's Italian. Both appalled at Scotland's plight, essentially being dragged out of Europe, you know, against our will. Um, and actually, I think also with an eye to the fact that Scottish independence and our right to rejoin the EU if we want, is probably the size of cataclysm needed to basically give progressives in England a chance to get their country back. That's the way a lot of them are looking at it. So, you know, they've got kind of bit skin in the game as well as want to see Scotland get its own shout. Um, so anyway, they set up this Europe for Scotland. The idea is quite simple. They've got a letter. They've got it translated into every language in the EU. It's put to the EU Commission saying, basically, you should be approaching, you should be making Scotland an offer. You should be getting ahead of the game before the next referendum, before your position gets twisted and used like it was last time uh, by unionists. Make a clean offer. Who, who wouldn't want Scotland back? You know, we're already EU citizens, we're in an energy-rich country, we're, we're about to fight a referendum based on European Union membership, for crying in a bucket. You know, I mean, how many times are you going to trip over that in your lifetimes? Even the Spanish have said they're not going to come forward with a veto, of course, if we have a legal referendum. So, so the point, anyway, um, they've now got posses in, I think, 20 of the 26 EU countries all of whom are ready to get organising on Scotland's behalf when the referendum begins and when we've got a campaign, which is great. Um, I was uh, chairing a Zoom meeting with a lot of those uh, kind of committees or whatever they're called. It was, char it was charming, actually. You know, the French were full of liberté, égalité, and you know, it was real stirring stuff. Some people had just had a good holiday in Scotland, to be fair. Other people <laughs> yeah. quite liked Outlander, you know, who doesn't like <laughs> But they all had a strong conception that Scotland should be, you know, able to make its own decision. But the Italian guy said, look, I'm willing to knock my pan in, or Italian words to that effect, uh, when it comes to the time for Scotland, are you? Now that freaking hurt, you know. But he said, we're not seeing anything. Now, you can, you know, you can say, oh, the mainstream media, blah, 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 you know, fine. That's a given now. There's no point worrying about that. We need to get to the point where, when there's a dump delivered to us, there's a reaction immediately. And that's the movement that does that. Not the Scottish Government, not the SNP, not ALBA, not the Greens. That's the movement. So, for example, uh, when Brexit occurred on January the 31st, 2019, that was a day everyone saw coming for a long time. You know, it was up there in lights. It was supposed to be a big day for Scotland because, remember, we're the guys who were dragged, kicking and screaming out of the EU against our will. And what do you expect from people who are that hacked off, who've been dragged out of something meaningful against their will? Something. You know, the day that it happens, you expect something. And the media expected something. The part of the story for them was how are the Scots going to react? Because they, you know, 62%, blah, blah. And I'm... I'm sorry to say, the SNP were not organising anything. So a guy called Mike Blackshaw from the Edinburgh Hub, who's currently in hospital again, and myself organised a, a demonstration outside. We've got some people there pretty quickly. We've got the Shore Alba Pipers. You know, it, it was a great sound and look. And it meant that when the media came, as they inevitably were going to come on that day, it had signposts. It was in the diary. People knew it was happening for a year beforehand. To get to the Scottish Parliament, they were not looking at a building bereft of people. 
bereft of emotion about this thing, they were looking at Scots who looked like they gave a toss in a cheery way. Because that's what we should, that's what we do very well. We we look need to look passionate. We need to be passionate in a cheery way. I mean, it's not like going to, you're gonna to have to force that. That seems to me to be a pretty Scotch bloody default. You've got to show it. All the stuff that people have been saying is right enough. You know, the currency, the detail, yada, yada, yada. When, when we get to the stage that that's a, a deal breaker for folk, you've probably lost the argument already. It's how people feel about this country. Do you have the energy, all of you together, to lift this blooming place, to get it off the minus category that it's sitting in at the moment? Every time I go to the Nordic countries, I come back infused with energy because I see our future. But if we're not going to get out and do stuff when there's a challenge made to us politically, what it looks like to everyone else is that we're a bunch of blooming dormice. So here's the deal, right? There's another one coming, another one. It hasn't got a date on it, 31st of January, convenient like. It's going to be the day the Supreme Court knocks us back, very probably, or gives us, my goodness, a wee present, right? But the day that there's a decision made about that process, what does it look like if there's nothing happening? You know, if the, the media will once again trapes up for their wee swally to Edinburgh, it's a popular gig. You know, they'll all be up there that very day, not Saturday. It doesn't work. You know, there's a case to be made for the big marches on Saturdays. But that's not how life and media works. You know, if somebody comes up and punches you in the face, you don't kind of sit there and go, okay, I'll react in about two weeks' time when I can also <laughs> nip into Marquis for a wee look and maybe have a wee swallow with the guys and everything like that. You react immediately. That's called a reaction, right? So what has to happen is that when that verdict is delivered, there has to be a blooming big demonstration outside Holyrood, notwithstanding the new difficulties of this government unaccountably passing bollocksy rules about not being able to organise outside our own parliament, whatever. We have to look like we care. There's nothing else more important. We are not visible. And the thing that is really killing is that people will now go in for lots of energy and effort and hope, which is the biggest effort of all, let's face it, uh, and may not get the, the return for that because there's a tremendous fear in people of visibility, of self-organisation, of independent-mindedness. And my God, we need it in spades if we're going to be an independent country. And this is absolutely not to diss the Scottish government. They can get on with the day job. They can hold... I mean, when we did the Brexit thing, I've got to say... The sudden appearance of SNP, MSPs and MPs who wanted to speak was quite astonishing. Um, so that's fine. But the job of the movement is visibility. It's age. There's other ones. That's a bloody big one. So you're looking at me like scared parrots. I mean, I'm not even talking rubbish here or what. <laughs> well, OK, maybe we'll get into a discussion. You know, we need to discuss this because I'm going to be there. I'll organise something. If I get arrested outside my own parliament for breaching rules about demonstrating about a big issue, 
like whether or not there is any legal avenue left in a supposed democracy to have a vote on a referendum that's been mandated by this electorate over and over and over again, then that's fine. I don't mind. And every meeting I've been at recently, I've pointed this out and said, basically, if you're of a mind, then you're not far from Edinburgh. You know, get ready to be moving. Get a WhatsApp group together of people who can move really quickly that day, because it will be that day. And maybe start thinking like this. These are the kinds of impactful things that need to be done. Uh, so that's my little kind of rebellious tuppence worth. Um, and I think once you do things and take ownership of stuff, it's extraordinary how it brings young people in. You also need to have better social media and communications to be visible. At some of the previous meetings, I was asking who was on TikTok, which is a scary platform that I'm about to embark on. Um, you're the highest percentage of TikTokers yet, right? Which is great. But, you know, I think what we need to have are just loads of films. I'm, I'm starting, I started it last night with Colin Hope, who organised the event I was at at Hoyk, but who very gallantly just gave me a 20-second film. Um, the, the, the channel will just be what, what independence means to me. And it'll just be lots of little films because that just gets out in a hundred thousand, hopefully eventually different ways, what independence means, right? And it should mean slightly different things to different people. But this is more, again, a question of visibility. So all I'm saying is, you know, it's great. And the communion that there is in this to pick up the sort of almost Christian aspect of this, you know, somebody did, I think, go through a court case, arguing potentially that, independence was a cult or a religious persuasion rather. Um, and perhaps it is because when you feel common cause like this, it's incredibly empowering to go on and get organized outside of here in ways that are impactful and visible. And that's the next two years for us, the movement, whatever else happens with the Scottish government, all part of their elbow. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good idea as well. But the key story, I mean, ironically, what the press will be looking for essentially is almost sort of Scottish response. Very probably they'll be sending people up the road to get, you know, something. Look, we're here in Edinburgh. I mean, if there's a flood, they go there. If there's somebody's broken their ankle in Shrewsbury, they go there. So, you know, they will probably be having the main input that night and all the news this will be. And from Edinburgh, the reaction to the Supreme Court judgment <coughs> is empty street. Busy street, which is it? <laughs> but the guys in London, for sure. I mean, you've got, there's a London SNP branch, isn't there? I know they're a bit professional. They're probably a bit worried about actually getting out and, you know, showing their colours, maybe. I don't know. But they shouldn't. That's what that would be. It'd be good to have that. Just a couple of salt tires around the front of that would make a really big impact. But I don't think we should waste our money going down. If there's folk down there already, that's fine. But let's strategize for this day. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Hi, um, Will Ramsey. I'm a trade unionist, um, convener of the SNP trade union group, but I'm putting this as a trade unionist. Because the modern crisis has changed the paradigm, uh, and we'll see what comes up with topical motions to the SNP conference. However, the cost of life has changed the paradigm to sensible, rational people. Uh, the issues of cost of living is somewhere between 12.12 in the scale. 
at the, at the point of independence is somewhere below five at the moment. And that's rational. That's rational for people outside this room, maybe for a lot of people in this room as well. When I was at university in the 1970s and then in the 80s, the political behaviour class, which I did for one year, no political behaviourists. McGill University at that time was looking into attitudes towards independence and devolution. Further down the socioeconomic scale, we went the higher the support for independence. But that's held, it's pretty much held since I was a young man. And it's the issue of turnout. I agree with everything that Grant was saying. Um, I agree completely with everything that Grant was saying. But one of the key issues is going to be, as in any democratic society, ensuring high turnouts among social classes, E's, D's, C2's and the like. Without high turnouts there, the, the soft no's or the soft yeses, and I've got friends who are in those categories, um, or is he hot? We've got to get them, of course. But that group, the, the, the E's, the D's and the C2's are absolutely vital for the turnout. And I would like to hear what the panel you know, would have to say about, about, about that aspect of things. Thanks. I think one anybody who's been out um, electioneering since um, well, 2019, I've been the, the election in Stirling for Alan Smith, Evelyn uh, Tweed, and the local government campaign, and consistently strong independent supporters um, are kind of scarred, clearly, because um, you know everybody's impatient. We want another referendum as soon as possible. Um, we need to keep them on board. <laughs> And to make sure that, and I think they will be, because you know the whole point about setting a second independence referendum date, subject to legal hurdles, shall we say, um, has basically started to get us back into their mind. That's important. But what was really important in 2014 and the leaders of 2014, and why places like Glasgow, North Lanarkshire became yes local authorities, is the fact that they went out and did voter registration with many people who were forced off the electoral roll because of things like council tax and poll tax before that. Um, I knew as a councillor in Glasgow that when I was going to canvas a door and I had one person's name, but I could see the work bits, the trainers, and there's only a woman down in the house as being the elector, that people were clearly avoiding being on the electoral register for fear of whatever, or just maybe can't afford council tax, I don't know. Um, but it was clear that people were coming off council tax in some of our, um, certainly our poorest uh, states in Glasgow at that time. And I think that's quite common throughout. Uh, I see it in the Ratlock and Stirling, Cornton. We need to get people mobilised to want to take, to come back onto the electoral roll, to have their say in the next biggest moment in their electoral life, which will be to choose independence. Um, so, Keeping that yes vote from 2014, expanding it, is definitely the grand strategy that we need to have. Um, we know that you know people that are in the kind of who voted before. Well, if you voted in the European referendum and voted no or to remain or leave, then you're already probably one of the most part of the engaged uh, electorate going because so few people went out to the European referendum. That so the ones that voted. Um, are you know strongest in terms of turning out. So then again, if we can convince those remainers who voted no, that is what's probably shifting us and maintaining us over the fifty percent mark. But we need to get it up to sixty percent. We need to people think that you know what holding on to the union is just not worth it anymore. 
the clear direction of travel is going to be independence. And I actually fear now a continuing right-wing Tory government in London more than any uncertainty that Scottish independence offers. Um, I'm not going to answer that question, I may, because I'm not a political strategist, not a politician. I'm an ordinary vote, just like uh, you guys. So I, I, don't, I don't know about engagement in that sense at all. Put my hand up. What I do know as a lawyer is what Leslie was talking about was in terms of the Supreme Court and the way the Supreme Court works. The date will be allocated for the Supreme Court for the hearing. That would be a date for campaigning. That would be a date to be out on the streets. When the judgment is eventually issued, that will be probably with about 24 hours notice. So there should be a wee bit of a heads up to get organised and to get going. So you know, I think the, these optics will be important. Will be important for the media. Will be important for the movement. Be important to encourage one another to see that. And so that's where, as individuals, the movement that yeah. your leadership to do that. You are a leader for Scottish independence in your family, in your community, in your workplace, wherever you are. And to 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 be reacting and commenting and even gathering together, I think, will be vitally important. And that's the sort of thing that galvanises people, that people actually have a deal in this, so they have a, an influence in this. And kind of picking up on what Grant was saying, it's that sort of engagement that will encourage people as well in due course too. There is definitely a a piece of um, voter registration in there for people who maybe haven't been involved in any way, shape or form before, for um, for young people who are maybe just coming on the electoral roll and maybe haven't had, their family isn't particularly political or don't vote <laughs> and things like that. But in terms of getting people to turn out to vote, I think one of the things we certainly found from, from recent elections, from the Hollywood election and from the local authority elections, people will vote when they think their vote is going to make a difference to the outcome. And convincing people of that, I think, is one of the greatest challenges that we as a movement have. When you're talking about a nation of five million or so people, people will turn around and go, oh, but my one vote won't make a difference. And when that's replicated hundreds and thousands of times, that's when those numbers start to start to slip away. So I think making I think the door chapping element of it is definitely a, a big part and we need to go out and make that case to people that their vote does count, their voice does count, their thoughts and opinions um, do count and that they should express that as is their democratic right at every level of, of election, not just during an independence referendum. And I think that when we're looking forward to building that new nation, getting people engaged from the very start, and then when we're making other decisions and having other conversations, that's the start of, of getting more people engaged and making these big decisions and really building a nation that everybody's engaged in. Just just on that subject, and then to come back to Bill's point, um, you know, it's going to be a hell of a job, actually, uh, because quite to take the point about voter registration, even where actually there had been a real big um, effort made with voter registration, Castle Milk, I'm thinking particularly where Women for Independence went in and did a lot of work. I can remember speaking to somebody after the event, after the day, and she was absolutely still in tears, not just about the result, but about the fact that women that she had managed to persuade to actually come with her to get registered wouldn't vote. And that, you know, that's a killer because it's a two-stage, two, three-stage thing. I vote will just register, perhaps to just shut you up. But then there's a gap. You know, there's a gap after registration till the actual day 
And then all those fears of the poll tax come back in. Better to be off grid, better for them not to find you. You can't trust them. It won't make any difference anyway. If you're not constantly in there, if you're only in juking in, juking out in a really nakedly instrumental way to working class areas, you will get nothing, you know. And so this is this isn't even a strategy of once we've got any kind of campaign of constant involvement in that in those areas. But the other point to come, which is sort of allied to it, comes back to Bill's point, is, you know, is activism. Jesus, this is a desperate time we're living in. And people are looking for folk who are willing to go and do something extra. And the people that they're seeing most often who are chiming completely with what they think is Mick Lynch. And these guys have got a, have now got a successful organisation moving together which is for, for trade unionists, but for just working people and just Abdi, basically, who's not watched Mick Lynch and start cheering, you know, when the guy is succinct, kind of, you know, corrects his interviewers, holds his space. He's brilliant. You know, let's not, and we shouldn't be sense in competition with that, but that's moved the bar up, right? So that, you know, for anybody watching stuff, sitting in the background, you know, playing the old sort of uh, kind of top 10 hits from 2014. And I'm not suggesting anybody's doing that, but it's always a wee temptation because they're quite nice for us, you know, oldies, dad dancing, that kind of thing. You can't do it. You know, we need to be in the space we're in now, which is an emergency sort of space. The thing about being on the edge, that's where lots of people are now. They're right on the edge. And if they hear people sounding a bit complacent, a bit, you know, whatever, just they don't sound like... We don't sound like they're kind of guys. And this is what I mean. We have to behave as if we care. And that means coming out of our comfort zones. It means having small, impactful presences in places. So absolutely, I think you can't be kind of um, resting our laurels about this because there is just the possibility, albeit that Labour is as lacklustre in many, you know, in, in ways which are just quite gobsmackingly consistent at north and south of the border, really, and that actually the likes of Mick Lynch, the RMT, and Enough is Enough is actually showing up Labour as much as it's kind of shoring up that kind of notion. Nonetheless, a lot of people will look at that and think, where's the sparkle? Where's the grit? Where's the want? We've got to get it back. All judges ultimately are political appointees. Why are we caring about what decision they make um, at the court here. Because fundamentally, we, we are a democratic nation. And a, a democratic nation is a nation that cares about the rule of law. The rule of law marks us as, as uh, part of the family of nations. And to depart from that puts us into the chaos that you see in dictatorships. I don't necessarily agree that all judges are political appointees because of a fairly rigorous process for that. I've, I've even been through the process myself. So, you know, I know what the process involves. It certainly is not um, uh, in terms of, of uh, political appointment. I, I know of, of friends who have been appointed into judicial office who are, um, who cover all political spectrums, to be honest. So it's not just uh, uh, that there's like an establishment view that uh, if you hold certain views, then you'll be appointed into uh, 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 to becoming a, a member of the bench. That, that just doesn't happen. 
It may have happened in the past, and there's probably good evidence in legal history that it happened, but we've moved into a different situation now. In a way, I kind of don't care if the how the Supreme Court decides this, because it simply shows that an avenue is closed, and that would mean that we revert from this idea that under devolution, it's only through a referendum that we have uh, that we can have access to to independence. It would go back to the kind of pre-devolution days of a majority of MPs being voted uh, would, would be the mechanism. I'm fine with that if that's the mechanism because that would be a legal mechanism uh, to do it, and we can assert that, and uh, that would produce a constitutional crisis uh, if we stood up and. Uh, that was the, the single manifesto point. And you, know, you articulate that all other routes are closed, this is the route that we're going, we're campaigning on this single issue, and the, the, the people of Scotland return that. I think that would be a, a very persuasive argument. But I think there should be outrage if we're, that is closed to us in the Supreme Court. And I think you know, what's coming across here is that, that we need to show passion and we need to show that we care and we need to show that these things matter to us more than anything else, that independence is our primary objective and anything else comes second. And you need to, for anybody else to care about independence, you need to care about independence. So I don't care what judges think. I care what you think. I care what the people of Scotland thinks. And that is how you get independence. Yeah, I just think, let's not overthink this, right? No, there's lots of ways you could look at the strategy of that, that is going forward at the moment and think that it's got a lot of problems with it, actually. But there's no point in worrying about that, right? Because it's actually happening. It's done. There's nothing anybody can do to influence it. So I personally put no energy into things I can't change now. The thing that we can do and the thing that the wider, the rest of Britain and everybody who's not following the independence debate in minute detail, and that's the vast majority of Scots, right, just need a big flag up to say, what does this mean? And what this means is our guys tried to play this by the book and got told to bugger off. And they tried to, you know, they've done it by the book with mandates, they've done it by the book this way, that way. Now that's not a, that's not an end in itself. It's just a step in the in the road. But my point is that step will come, and whether you like it or not, if we don't mobilise and make something out of that judgment, it's there to be shaped as a political moment. If people are not interested in this room and shaping political moments, what are you for? Because that's what politics is about. And if we sit home and go, ah, well, you know, it was a bit buggered anyway, and, you know, yeah, we'll probably get stuffed when it comes to the bit, and the SNP won't probably have a single, you know, they won't probably have a plebiscite referendum because they'll, they'll bottle it at the last minute. Just chuck it. You know, that's, that's not anything one can control. We need to keep up and keep looking at behaving the way people would expect from a group of people who have sunk their lives into this. I joined the party in SMP in 1961. I'm 81. Uh, and I've served through Scotland as a prison governor. And I know a bit about rooftops and anger and resentment. But whenever MPs were told, arbitrarily, you can't clap. So we didn't clap. 
show me in writing that we can't clap. That's the man in the street saying, well, they're not going to fight very hard. It's no worth a kettle of fish for me to try it. Right. You know, there's, there's a lot in that. But the point is, we as non-MPs can't affect that. So, you know, whilst I might have my hopes of what prominent members of the SNP would do, I'm not putting any energy into it because that is displacement. You know, we are here with a duty as individuals to become independent minded and to operate ourselves. And everyone is looking for cues from somebody else. You know, there's a there's a tank coming straight down the road, a moment, an event. And I'm not hearing anyone yet saying we'll be there outside the hood. Are you? Oh yes. I mean, I think a lot you wouldn't have there. I think you've been dying to say it. And I don't care about athletes. I care about you in this room now. What sort of dynamite do I need to chuck your way to even get what your problem is about this notion? One of the issues I think with with nowadays is getting the positive message across because we, we're faced with a government where everybody feels it, it's a it's a cataclysm that's about to happen, and I think that from the Scottish government. It's terrible and all the rest of it, but we're not putting a, a, a positive message. We're not saying, well, uh, the energy crisis and things, this is how we would deal with it. it just, there's just radio silence coming out from that point of view, and I think that needs to, to be improved to get people actually motivated to see there would be a difference and a, and a positive side of it. I think what you're basically saying is you want to be proactive rather than reactive. Yes. Do, do something that, that makes a difference, do something that lets people feel that the SNP supporters care, that the people on the ground care, that our our voice isn't, isn't apathetic and isn't pointless, that the more of us that can get together and agree with something and put a good point forward and counter some of the negativity that is flung in our direction. And there are ways of doing this with all the media um, scenarios that we've got out there, TikTok, for example, it's reaching out to people, it's it's letting them know what the truth is so that they can go somewhere and find the truth. And it's not all pages and pages and pages of documents which people nowadays don't have time to read, don't have time to download. It's short, sharp hits of positive information and finding a way to get that out into the world, out into the communities who may struggle to get to the polls, may struggle to do things, but if they feel there's a good reason for it, then they'll be far more motivated to vote with their feet. And media is one of the ways of doing that. How can we um, best identify those who are the persuadables? But the independence movement is not just the SNP. And we do work very nicely together and all that sort of thing. But it's, I think we're in danger sometimes of making it all about one party in particular. And there are some people who are maybe persuadable that would never vote for the SNP, but might vote, but might vote yes. And I think that's, I think it's sometimes good as a, as a group to sort of reflect that it's not just, and it's sometimes not just the Scottish government and the SNP and the Greens as well. There are other people that are, as I said earlier, that aren't politically aligned to a certain party and all that sort of thing as well. So I think there's a lot to be said about having individual conversations to identify people that are persuadable, because I think there are there are some in our communities that would not come to a big meeting like this for for fear of what they might find, we're never 
for people that haven't been to a political event or things like that before, but they might reveal their their thoughts or their concerns on one to one conversations, which is where I think the door knocking part is really is really important. But again, the number of people who go, I'm really sorry, the kids are in the bath, they're making my tea, any excuse, or just pretend they're not in to avoid a, a political canvasser. Whereas actually individuals going out and having those conversations with friends, having those conversations with family and having them within within your communities and not being afraid to start those conversations for fear of someone falling out with you about it. There's some in my family that always say, don't talk about politics or religion. Well, we not talking about politics has kind of got us in the mess that we're in with with the UK government. So we need to we need to start having those conversations and we need to start empowering those conversations amongst our communities and amongst ourselves. And it starts it starts at home. It starts having those conversations with friends and not just those politically aligned friends either. Um, those people who maybe don't think have particular political views or aren't party members and and things like that. So I think that's the way we start not only finding the people that are that maybe haven't made up their minds, but people that are persuadable. I want to go back to the original question um, about judges. And I, I just want to reinforce what Neil was saying, um, that essentially attacking the judges is kind of what the Daily Mail does. Leave it to them. Um, the, the, this is just a distraction. It's in many ways, as Les said, it's an avenue that we, we were told to explore, we explored it. If not, maybe it will or it won't uh, give us an opportunity to go forward. It doesn't really matter. It's just part of the scene with which we are faced with just now um, as a, a movement. Nothing in Scotland over the last 50 years has ever been achieved in genuine big issues, whether it's uh, constitutional or poverty. Um, or specific issues has ever been achieved by a political party. Every single mass campaign in Scotland over the last 50 years has been led by independent campaigners, from the poll tax to peace marches to um, make poverty history. The first um, Scottish Assembly referendum campaign in 79, the 97 campaign, you know, political parties and politicians were part of it. But they never led it, and as much as they might like pretend it did, and they might like to take the credit for some of these things. I think, as Les was saying before, unless people mobilise and do it for themselves, you know, we will never force political parties ever to march at the pace we want them to march at. Um, and I know that myself, and working within the SNP over decades, how frustrating it can be trying to work whether it's on specific policy issues or on the constitutional question itself. You know, it is a it is a purpose um, as a mass political party to do certain things, but expecting all the time for that leadership to come from one person or the top. Um, Mike Russell gave an inaugural uh, talk to us about the launch of his Stirling um, independence campaign last month, and I was quite surprised he turned it into this independence referendum campaign is about what you want it to be. Create your own campaign. Now, it was a similar room like this of silence going, oh, really, the husband? Can you not just send out a leaflet and go it? You know, that is kind of what we used to in some ways. Now, maybe you don't feel you've got the skills to do all that, whether it's creating content for social media, whether it's creating content for what you might use on a street stall or go around the doors. But there are enough people in our communities and in our constituencies and council areas to organise in that way and do that. 
what we do need to do is chivvy up that leadership to come on, let's get going, let's do something. Um, and you know, we're not going to wait for whatever party headquarters is going to say in any political party for that matter. If they come along with something nice that fits in what you've got the words with you, great. Um, I know that in Princeton and Stirling, we're, we're not a homogenous group of people across Stirling. We are working on how can we keep some of the independence in Europe stuff for the middle classes of Dunblane uh, and the rural, some part of the rural part of Stirlingshire, but also looking at that will not go down well in um, Ratliff, Bannockburn, the Eastern Villages. We are needing to have messages that resonate at this moment with communities more broader, or sorry, more narrow within our constituency, but be able to give us a quick hit to get in to show that we're here, this is what we recognise, what's important for you, and we want, you know, we're on your side, but we also need your engagement with us to take this forward. And that's kind of our immediate uh, tactics um, to get going. Um, but it's taken, you know, probably, maybe with things that you're getting mass parties, you've got lots of troops doing these things. It's probably two or three people that are organising that. We just need to get more people doing that. And I know as much as I um, teach a lot of stuff around public relations and using video content, I'm not the best at doing it, but I now know people who do do that. And it's getting them in and getting them harnessed to become part of the, the team, part of that campaign, uh, and give us that ammunition that then others will disseminate and reach out to other people as well. One of the things I think is very important to us, and I've been doing this for the last six months, I've stopped talking to people about having a referendum. I've started talking to people about winning a referendum. Because yeah. the more we talk about having a referendum, we're wasting time on the actual winning of, of, of a referendum. Um, I think it's important is that we make sure we win this. It's not, there's not another chance coming up a couple of years after. It's about winning this. I think you're right. I think it's somebody passion. Where, where do we get on that? Well, to be honest, there's a lady out there who I've always thought we could get made up of it and speak to her more, Leslie. Um, and I don't know why you wouldn't be. But, but you're right. Where did that come from? Nobody had heard of him before. And all of a sudden, this man with passion, the care about what he was doing, and believes. Not just even just like, there's even just a tiny part of that man that does not believe he's doing. I'm not saying it's never been me, but, but I will join this. For, and people will tell you that I'm an SP councillor. I only join because that's what that's what it is. Even my boss has got a bad habit of telling me that you joined this for the cause. Everybody in this room is here for the cause. And I, I get what Leslie's saying, and we should be jumping up and cheering for the rafters. But I don't think at the moment we're still worrying about what's going to happen on the 11th of October. We should be thinking about what's going to happen and how we're going to win it. What we're going to do to go out and win it, because winning it is the only thing that matters. You know, the only thing that matters to me at this moment in time, what happens to my party after that, I really don't care. It's a bit, it's a bit the rest of us winning our independence. And if the SNP goes on to be a great party after it, great. If they don't, it'll be the people of Scotland that have chosen that, and that's the most important thing. And that's the kind of passion we need to put in. So I wasn't hearing you, but to be honest, you're in my head. You've just heard me and you heard my cheers. Please, can we just focus on winning this? Brilliant, that. You know, your, your authenticity, your feeling came right through there, the way you were speaking, you know, which is brilliant. And that's what affect, you know, if, if someone had just filmed you right there then, that's the kind of stuff that changes people's minds because I hear what you really, you know. Now, the difficulty for a lot of Scots is that you, we, are walled up inside. Mm. You know, we've spent, this is, 
you don't get to be the product of such disempowered communities as Scots have gone through, urban and rural, without severe breaks on expressing yourself for all sorts of reasons, but mostly the fear of judgment, the fear of getting it wrong, the fear of being out of line, the fear of not getting some statistic right. All of it serves to silence you. And actually what you end up doing is erring very strongly in the need to have all sorts of lists of statistics in front of you when it means nothing to people. Nobody remembers whether it's 10,000, 12,000, what the hell, that's not what they remember. What they remember is when you're channeling yourself in stuff. And that's a very difficult thing for Scots. You know, we're, we're not Italian. Actually, in Falkirk, you're not quite Ouija's. But, but you know, what I mean is you've got to try to shit this out. Because it's not enough for you to just sit and be silent, uh, kind of, com com you know, in a silent communion with the, the one who speaks. It's you've got to be able to just show how you feel about this. That that's a tremendous point. And all I'm meaning, I'm sorry, I'm just getting so tired having to make the same point over and over again. It would help me to know that you've got it, and I'll shut them up. It's just to act like people who confidently know we're moving towards independence are trying to do it by the book because that's the kind of Democrats we are and get really pissed off in a cheery way every time we get thwarted and then continue. That's the kind of narrative we need to give ourselves and the world to people it with reality, with you. So that's what I'm trying to say, whether it's the Supreme Court, doesn't matter if it, I quite agree, they're not enemies of the people, but even if they were, we need to keep creating the narrative. If we don't keep shipping the narrative out, here we are, cheery, persistent people who want the chance to not run a country like a corrupt bunch of wasics, which is what the world can clearly see London to be. It's just a joke now, even watching, you know, the correlation between the hours Liz Truss has been in, in post and the amount that the pound has lost against the dollar is astonishing. But we, we, people have got the idea that we're a different set of people, but we have to keep representing it because they've got other things to do in their lives. You'll beat yourself up trying to get media coverage for things that are on your terms. The day you think is important, the time you think is convenient, that's not the way it works. When there's a big media moment, they're coming looking for something. You get into the paddock that day and you'll be riding out on a stallion. You wait till you try and coax the media into your poxy little park. No. So just look for the moments that are good. In, and locally, when I was in Forfar, they were thinking about this. It's a bit hard, you know, difficult to get from Forfar to Edinburgh for the day. They're going to go to our Broth Abbey. Because they're going to say, this is what our democracy is about in Scotland. It's about, it's about sovereignty of the people. And here's the place where our guys wrote the first document that restricted the absolute power of monarchy in Europe. That's our place. This is what this is about. What a brilliant idea. Because that demonstrates something really powerfully. So think like this, I would suggest. And you'll begin to come up with things that you can be wholehearted about. On that point, on media, on getting out there and communicating it, um, I was there on in January 31st, um, outside Holyrood, um, and 
like that, we were there, we were in that moment, and there was lots of media, lots of press, and Dutch media came up to us and talked to us, and because um, we were quite young, we were with our flags and everything, and they talked to us, they filmed our reaction with the midnight stroke, and then the next day we were going out with Portobello canvassers, um, the youth group, and um, they, the Dutch, Dutch media met us there, they came with us, they filmed us, chaperone doors, they talked to us, they told our story, and it was, it was not, it was, it, I'm glad, I'm a Ouija, <laughs> so it was not, it was not part of me or my comfort zone, and to get out there and to do it, it worked, it really worked, we got messages from Dutch people through Facebook, through Twitter, they found us online, they talked to us, they said we see you, um, and it was impressive, it was impressive by how, how little we did in the terms of they came to us, um, but we were there to receive it. So very much agree and encourage and to just be there. And between then and now, between then and now and the big events, I can see in this room, I think I might be the youngest person here. <laughs> so I would just encourage you all to talk to younger folk in your parties and your organisations in the community, uh, family, workplaces, and they can do the TikTok stuff. They can do that sort of stuff. I, mean, I can't, but <laughs> they can do that and they can, you know, but I think to the panel, how would you advise, advise for more people, more young people to get in a room like this, to hear these things and to then be proactive with their actions in the next coming month? I was going to have a little bit dreamy there um, listening to that. Uh, in terms of engaging uh, young people, um, I've got a problem, and I don't, and, you know, young people are very good at organising themselves, quite often get impatient with older people, and particularly older people who control the organisations they think should be doing something. Um, so if I see things like um, the Student National Association up at uh, the university, they're doing big work through their freshers' week, and they're going to go, they're going to have various, you know, meet the NPMSP events so their members can find out who the local elected uh, members are. And I'm, I'm sure they will come out and start campaigning for yes um, and through any SMP activities as well. Um, I've never had a problem with that. And, and young people have never had a problem coming forward, uh, certainly in, in the kind of branch network I've had in the party locally, that um, they'll come forward and take positions and take responsibilities. Many of them may be looking, I don't know, you know, part of building your experience, uh, might give you some job opportunities, etc. But that's by the by. The main thing is that young people don't have a problem with campaigning, um, but they do need to be supported. So I know that, you know, particularly in the YSI, this is something for our leaders in the party to think about. They have no financial resources at the moment because of something that happened five years ago. Um, and they have to go and ask bid by bid to party headquarters for any amount of money to be spent on anything to do with the YSI nationally. So if our national youth wing within the party are hamstrung in terms of what they can do because they have no resources to manage themselves, then it's kind of, you know, one is self-defeating, it's going against the principles of independence in the first place, um, uh, and will actually hamper the cause in terms of what young people will feel empowered to do and be able to organise for themselves. So if anybody here has got influence with things that happen within uh, our national uh, organization then you know have a go at that to help release some of that resource and release some of that energy that we have within our, our youth movement on the
I'm a retired employee of Rupert Murdoch, and also the National News Scotland. Used to be the News of the World there as well, and in Canning Park. Uh, my question to the panel is on invisibility of action. And the question is, is it not the case that Butte House and the Scottish Parliament are absent without leave, and that what must be raised in Aberdeen at conference is a very clear direction of intent, and immediately they must publish their agenda on independence. If not, why not? And on top of that, is this going to be the starting gun in Aberdeen? And is this, to go back to my first point, I mean, about apathy in Scotland, are people waiting on the starting gun being fired? I thought you said, are they, you know, uh, does, does their agenda have to be published for the blooming conference even? Yes. But the point is, you see, like, just what's happened there, Barrack, 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 leave it. You know, I, I, I have enough, lots of problems with the SNP as a party and lots of criticisms. And absolutely, it feels to me like there's there's kind of a series of leadership voids. Uh, there's all sorts of issues that we're, you know, we've, we've semi-touched on today that just need much, much more emphatic direction. Um, and they're sort of drifting. For, it's like we're waiting, waiting for them to be coalesced into a document, waiting for a powerful argument that really brings all the points together. Fine. Because the thing is, there's nothing I can, any of us can do to make Nicola say the thing you want to say, is my way of looking at it. So I, I really think a big, big difficulty for Scots is the tendency to want to be led. You know, you can have arguments about quality of leadership, but this is the bit, this is our dance space in the immortal words of Patrick Swayze. We can control this bit. And this bit about us wanting to look for leadership to valid and, and actually, in the absence of precisely the right kind of leadership, then we almost withdraw our energy. We're waiting until there's something good enough there to come out for. This is not how the world works. It's maybe no fair, but live with it, you know, because what this could be teaching us is the biggest blooming lesson this country needs to learn as a bunch of disempowered people, which is rule your own. You know, and, and of course, you can't become a, a, a first minister. You can't become the SNP leader. You, you know, the distraction constantly, if it's not that question, is the question of the BBC or the mainstream media, other things you can't affect. So the thing is, we've got this situation, we've got this area, we just have to keep trying to find ways to be big in it and be active and confident and strategize about specific things, you know, a million things. Think of your own life. When you decide you're going to spring clean the house and there's like a list, you start a list, my God, lists, you're on 48, you know, and you're still going 49, do that, 50, do that. Oh no, that's, you know, one thing. Get one thing between you as a group of people in this room. Decide one thing that you're going to do to make yourself visible. And that allows your energy to go and see, this is where I disagree with you a wee bit on this apathy thing. I'm just not a believer in apathy. Apathy is stored up energy that can't flow anywhere because it hasn't got anywhere to go. Now, if you're not getting from on high 
the kind of you know route for that energy to go in well whatever but we can create those routes and we have to because otherwise what is a movement for so you know i i never believe badly of people actually and i haven't generally been that disappointed in life it is that without that kind of route map towards something manageable people can't show their energy they won't risk it and particularly yesers won't risk the disappointment that came the last time around of putting all that love into this thing and then watch it go flat right in front of them. The only people who could support everyone enough to make that feel like a good thing to do are the rest of you coming out of yourselves. The National Collective, the, the, you know, the actors, singers, producers and things like that who were interested in my parents before, they think they would be somebody outside the parties who could help to sort of leads other people well yes except once again if we're looking for another set of people to do the leadership study you sorry you get smacked over the back of the head for that one <laughs> see how one bunch of people becoming active encourages the next bunch of people so you know we're all waiting for each other who's going to be the first who's going to be the first dearie 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 me you know this this is the curse of the scots and in this thing, you have the capacity to change many things about Scotland, not just that, you know, we're going to get independent and then we'll all be all right. We'll become different people then, you know, or there'll be different people drafted in or something different will happen. It won't. It'll just be us again. Right. So get limbered up because you're in this for life. Right. You know, is the good and bad point. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, yes, it's a thought actually. I haven't heard from the any of the kind of yesable type people, but as sure as hell, if they see a big demonstration around Supreme mm -hmm. Court, there's also the, the redoubtable Mike from the Yes Hub has already booked a march in for the 12th of November through Edinburgh, a big one. He's got the route agreed with the polis. Um, there isn't publicity about it yet because I'd like to see the uh, website and a Facebook page so that when people hear about this, they have somewhere to go find information so they don't think it's makey uppy and they can look at who's organising it and decide that it's their kind of gig because I think some people have had doubts about some of the previous gigs. Um, and we want a good logo as well so that it looks really impactful and professional because it will be. We'll get this one to really work. So there's people doing stuff. Um, behind the scenes, you do it then. I don't have the most knowledge about this because I'm only 16. I only heard about this a few months ago when John Kelly came into my school. He spoke about this topic quite a bit in my geography class and honestly kind of opened our eyes because we never really heard about it since really no one really talks about it. And it's kind of like a big thing. Like there is a problem as a visibility. I mean, I'm 16 and I've never really heard about this. And then the idea that it's like, there's a problem. And I think we could help with that because like, I think we could go on Twitter and reach out to these people who are maybe not Scottish, they're not from Scotland. They don't maybe have the understanding of English. Maybe they can't read English and they don't understand what independence really means. We could reach out to them. They could retweet in their own language to all these other people in Scotland to speak about this topic and help and vote for independence because no one really talks about it. It's not really like a big thing. Even in schools, maybe more people came to schools about this topic. It could be a big help because I can now legally vote and like I will. And I think that 
two of my classmates would want to as well if they knew that this was an opportunity. Like, it's not really a thing that we know. We just don't really, like, know the prince. But I think if more people spoke about it, that would be a good thing. Coming back to to your point on us making young people aware of what how big a deal this is, tell us how we can help and we'll come and help you know how to build those networks within your own peer group and within people who's mid, who English maybe isn't their first language and, and things like that. But I think to take Leslie's overriding theme for the whole thing, take charge and do your thing. If everybody does something within their own their own peer group, their own experience, things like that, that will start making the difference and those conversations will start making the difference and you don't know how far that will reach. So don't don't be afraid of, of starting doing something and making those links. And if there is anything that I'm sure parties and people of non-party affiliation can do to help, then, then we will. So reach out if we can help. I want to pick up on something Julian had said in her opening remarks about we don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to have all the detail worked out. But what we do have to have is that willingness to speak about it. Now, that willingness starts by listening to people, listening to the concerns, listening to the issues, listening to young people and, and how to meet that need, or listening to union members and how to meet that need, or listening to the soft no's and the issues that they have. And... It might be on that day you don't particularly have an answer. You go away, you find something to say, you come back, you build a relationship with somebody. And by building that relationship, you're investing in that person and you're showing their intrinsic worth that they have as well. So we're not doing guerrilla raids into localities and retreating, but you're actually building up step by step, little by little, solid relationships with people so that when the time comes, you have credibility to speak to those people, to get them out, to get them to vote. So that starts, first of all, with listening and recognising, not the kind of basket case politics that we've got in London, where politics is essentially failing, but actually where we're engaging the power of people and engaging with people. And so that starts with you. I just wanted to pick up on a few things that people have said like, throughout the day. And I'm a very firm believer of you cannot be what you cannot see. If we want to engage with young people, why is there not a young member on the panel? My, my son is 16. Yeah. He, he can articulate some incredible answers that would knock your socks off. But that's because, you know, he's being brought up in my household and I teach him those yeah. things. But just exactly what you just said, you know, like, why are we not having young people on the panel? If we, if we are serious about inspiring the next generation to take charge of this country, to have those independent views, to be catalysts for change, why is there not one on the panel? How do we get in touch with those people who don't engage with politics because politics is not sexy? Like, a meeting like this isn't sexy. Like, so I would love to hear what your ideas are as a panel on how do we make this sexy for people to get involved. And, and, and if, we cannot, if we cannot get young people, like, and we want to engage with them, we need, they need to be more visible. Do, doing actions, I mean, sitting like this with sages on the stage, be they young or old, is a very old-fashioned format in many respects. 
Um, and, you know, what, what tends to involve people, I think younger people, but actually a lot of people more, is when you, you're out kind of doing something. Um, and that's where I think once you start to think in terms of what event can we move towards doing and how will we make it visible, then you're on to videoing, TikToking, all the stuff that the younger guys are on to anyway, and then give it to them. That's their job. That's their contribution is they're the distribution wing of everything from here on in. But shouldn't they be our leaders, though? Well, they can inspire they can No, you know, how would you psychic? I don't know, and I'm standing in too quickly for this, but I don't know if people know your 16-year-old is it son or daughter. The point is they need to know to put them on the panel. So, you know, the, the way that it works is people need to know and also not freak someone out. See, like yourself there, that's magic that you spoke. I'm thinking the next thing to do is to get a group of you to, to talk to you and see what seems comfortable. But a lot of 16-year-olds get a wee bit, woo, sitting up here. And I'm putting panels together. I'm always very conscious because it's a function of having been a broadcaster for so long that you have to have diverse groups. But you can see quite easily when sometimes you're putting someone in something that's a bit, a wee bit too, too deep. You know, there might be a better way to have four people from the school and four of you just sit and have a conversation. Or, I'm not trying to be funny, but I kind of have made a whole lot of wee films about other countries that became independent. They're quite interesting. If you watch them, you see a lot of parallels and you can discuss it. It's another way for people not to have to sit and have this kind of conversation. That's what they did last night in Hoyt, and they got quite a lot of people in because people feel that wrongly that they're not going to get challenged because they think they're going to sit and watch a film. So that's something that you can do. You know, there's lot there's there's lots of different ways, but I mean talking to, to the folk who've been brave enough to put their heads over the parapet would be a good start, man. I think we need to ask them what they need to make this more sexy. Like I couldn't I couldn't tell you what. 16-year-olds want to hear from I can tell you what politically aligned 16-year-olds want to hear from exactly. me, but they're not the norm. They're the exception to the, to the rule. And I think where you and I grew up, Stacey, I think there's, there is definitely that element that Leslie was saying, we need to bring those voices on. And they're not always necessarily the ones that are in the political bubble. I think we do need to reach out. We need to reach out beyond that, but we need to get the politically aligned ones to bring those pals along, along too. Um, and I think that's that's something that across political boundaries here in Falkirk we could be we could be doing to bring that that next generation on and is maybe something that is part of this next winning an independence referendum. Um, we should be we should be doing so that they they have that voice and they have that ability to stand up and articulate that voice because that's not what there is in a lot of working class communities and it's not. A lot of what we've done, we've done well to bring those voices on. So I think that's definitely something we should be looking at doing. My name is Kevin. I'm visiting from the United States, where unfortunately we don't know very much about the Scottish independence movement. Our knowledge of it is very superficial. Um, but my question is for anyone on the panel: um, What lessons, if any, can you draw from independence movements in other places, such as Catalonia or Quebec or even Wales? What could be relevant for Scotland from those from those cases? It's always interesting to look at how other people uh, campaign for independence, how they've won their independence, there may be things you can learn and less, that learn lessons from. But ultimately, everything is about context and what's happening here, uh, what are the special circumstances of here that won't necessarily have any correlation whatsoever to Quebec or Catalonia or East Timor, for that matter. Um, the reality is you do need to understand your own context, your own rules, your own people, 
in order to win them over about what's important for independence. Whilst this is grand to have this kind of event where I think it was the, the sages at the front, the reality is we now need to go away from here and get back people back into what Tony Giuliano used to do at Yes Scotland, looking at the outreach of people talking to people in the groups that they are most comfortable with. So if that's young people, older people, academics, uh, trade unionists, lawyers, who cares? Whatever group that you find that's the way of com coming together and having smaller conversations, particularly where you've got some commonality and then can bring in people similar to you. I think that works far more effectively than using political brands, which tend to always alienate people straight away as soon as you say who you're from. Um, so there's, you know, there's big lessons from 2014 that was quite successful. Um, and we need to start um, basically getting them going again and not worry too much about who's organising them, where do they go with that. Get the debate going, get the stimulation going. The formal campaign around how we will eventually get people sorted into, we know they're coming out to vote for us, we know they're not coming out to vote for us. That will come in time. I think it's just about one stage at a time, frankly, uh, and getting people mobilised, getting people into first gear, second gear, is probably part of what we need to do begin with. I would simply say that um, the lessons that we learn from Catalonia or Quebec or anywhere else is that we must win. <laughs> we must win. There's no other option. We must win. And uh, I, you know, we, we, we can't even foresee any other outcome other than winning. We can pick up of what was said by a friend over there. We win by persuading people, and people are persuaded by your personal experience. Why are you persuaded about independence? Why does it matter to you? Why do you care? Why should they care about that as well? We win when we are evangelical in reaching out. We are relentless in, in reaching out. That, that This is the thing that motivates you why you get up in the morning and you're going to go and speak to people whatever opportunities come your way to communicate of why Scotland needs to be independent and how you and this person are going to be part of delivering that win for Scotland. Just on those those examples, uh, I was over at the debate, BBC World took me over to sort of uh, have a debate the day before the Catalans made their independence declaration. And um, there was a, a kind of professor on the panel on the other side, on the sort of Spanish government side, uh, from the uh, University of Valencia, who came over and said at the end, look, you should understand that the bulk of us have no problem with Scots because you're really quite unique. Most uh, independence campaigns are based on religion or, or language, and they can become quite exclusive, and they worry everyone else, and you don't. Because he said, you, you guys may well truly be the only civic nationalists alive. <laughs> and I thought, okay, that's kind of really interesting. And he said, just by the by, and this is a contentious point I know for the Catalans, he said the Catalans have never been their own state, whereas you have been your own state. Now, I'm just saying, if you're to look at, at, at ourselves as others see us, that's how others see us, as having essentially been a bit like the Estonians who were actually reclaiming their independence when they finally did it in 1991. So, I mean, my thing is very much more, um, that's why I've spent time making these films about the winners when you want to get to the point of winning, 
the people to, to learn from are the ones who won their independence. Um, you know, it's fine to look at everybody else who's struggling with difficult situations, and there's a lot of feelings of solidarity and sympathy, but to learn how to win, look at winners. So if you haven't looked at films, it's only because, you know, they were crowdfunded. You may have helped even finance their production. They are blinking there, and they have had half a million views online, which is more than they'd have gotten a late night slot on the BBC. So, you know, it's fine. But that's Norway, Faroes, Iceland, and Estonia. And Estonia is one of the most recent countries to become independent. So we actually were able to interview the very people who are instrumental in making it happen. So if you want to see how they think they did it and what they're telling Scotland, watch the damn films. Um, they're on my website, lesliarink.com forward slash films, and they're all there. Just wanted to draw together some of the things you said. One of them, about my vote is wasted because it doesn't count anyway. I wasted a vote for many, many years, and I'm sure other people did, did waiting for the SNP whenever there's a chance. And one day it wasn't wasted. Mm -hmm. So anyone who says that to you, just say to them, well, it's wasted just now, but when some other people waste it, it won't be wasted. You persuade me to vote anyway. And the other thing I wanted to say was everything that's been said to me today makes me feel that the way forward is never mind whether the SNP is leading or not. We create the tide and they will have to follow us. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back again next Friday with another podcast. And don't forget to check out Independence Live's YouTube channel. Bye now. Bye.